Well, church, let me encourage you now, if you would, to grab your Bible and to join us in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. If you, if you have your Bible with you, would you go ahead and turn there? If you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got them all around the room in the backs of the seats. And we would encourage you to grab one of those so you can see for yourself what the Word of God is saying. And as we, as we read our text for the day, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that walks us in to the beautiful story of Christmas. I have a, a very unique privilege today to have my dad here with us, and he is going to read our opening scripture. He, he called me about a week or so ago and said, hey, I'd, I'd love to come over for the weekend, watch some football, just go to church with you. And I said, well, if you're going to go to church, I at least need to put you to work for a minute. And so uh, this is really a, a gift to me to have my ministry hero here with us and to have him read our opening scripture. So would you stand for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter two, verses one through seven. And I sure thank you, George, for the opportunity to share and worship with you. You know, I think real highly of your pastor. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for the love that you show George and Megan and all the family. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Father, as we stand before you today, looking with anticipation for you to speak. We pray now, Father, that you will give us fresh insight from a most familiar text in your Word. And Holy Spirit, may you fill George with your power to reveal your fresh insight to all of us about your invasion of history in the most powerful way through your Son, Jesus. And Lord, may all of us see Jesus and desire to follow Jesus and commit for our will to be in the center of your will as we follow Jesus. For we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we step into this beautiful Christmas season, doesn't the church look beautiful too, by the way? Would y'all give it up for those who decorated the church? We had an army, an army of volunteers and our staff team working hard this week, and it, it is looking like Christmas around here, and we are so thankful for that. And as we step into this season, we, we are stepping into a passage of Scripture that if you know the Christmas story, if, if you know the biblical 
reason for this season and the biblical celebration that is Christmas. This is a passage of scripture that as my dad just just said, it is a very familiar passage of scripture. In fact, you might even be able to, to make the case that Luke chapter two, verse seven specifically is the most well-known verse in the story of Christmas. That Mary wrapped the, the baby Jesus in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That's the center of every nativity scene that has ever been displayed. That, that, that baby lying in a manger, God in the flesh, the, the, the beautiful picture of the humility of God reigning over all, stepping into our time and space in human form, taking on the form of a baby. How vulnerable, how beautiful, how tender as we talked about last week. And yet as, as familiar as these, this verse is in Luke chapter two, the verses before it, I believe in many ways, are, are as miraculous as what we see in verse seven. That the virgin gave birth to the son of God and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger. Well, well, as the stage is set for this to take place, what we see in verses one through six is absolutely miraculous. And, and my hope and my prayer today in this message is that we would have a bigger view of who God is and what he does throughout the events of history to bring about his perfect will at his perfect time. This is a text that shows us the sovereignty of God. God who is reigning and ruling Overall, With that in mind, and we're going to look at several different passages of Scripture today. And so we're going to be turning to, to a few different places. We're going to put the page number on the screen if you got one of those Bibles from the back of the seat. But I want to encourage you to turn with me to these different places because we're going to see that the sovereign authority and rule of God show up all throughout this story of Christmas and the good news that we celebrate as we gather in Jesus' name. Now, what do we see in these details? What we see in these details of, of Luke chapter two, verses one through six, that a decree comes down from the emperor of Rome. And that decree says to every person throughout the Roman empire at the time, you must go home. You must go back to the place where you were born because a census is going to be taken so that the Roman Empire can have a full picture of everyone who is in their kingdom and a part of their rule and authority. And so that means that Joseph and Mary, his betrothed, his, his fiance, if you will, who are living in Nazareth at the time, when they get this decree from Caesar, they must travel 80 miles while Mary is pregnant with child, either walking on foot or riding on a donkey, a very difficult trip, you might imagine, for, for a young lady who is pregnant and great with child. They've got to travel 80 miles to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem. And that may seem like a random detail. That may seem like an insignificant kind of, kind of moment in the Christmas story. Yeah, they, they had to go from one place to the other. What's the big deal? Here's what I want us to see as we walk through God's word. There is reason behind everything that the scripture reveals. 
And there is a purpose behind everything that God does. And even throughout events in history that sometimes we would not connect to the sovereign reign and rule of God, there is a plan that God is weaving together to show his purpose and to reveal his glory. I wanna give you an example of this. As we think about Joseph and Mary going from Nazareth 80 miles to Bethlehem at the decree of Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, the prophet Micah in the Old Testament gives us some insight to what would take place when the Messiah was born. In fact, the prophet Micah shows us several hundred years before Jesus would be born in Bethlehem that this is exactly the way it's gonna take place. So keep your finger at Luke chapter two and turn with me to the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. Micah chapter five. Micah five, beginning in verse two. Listen to what the word of God says through the prophet Micah about a very specific place. But you, O Bethlehem, Micah five, two. But you, O Bethlehem, Epharathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For you shall come forth for me, for, from me for one who is a ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them upon the, uh, up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure from, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. What, what, is, what is Micah saying here? Micah is giving a prophetic word to the people of God saying a very small little town that might appear somewhat insignificant to some people is actually a very significant town in the story of God. This will be the birthplace of the Messiah, the little town of Bethlehem, the city of David. And Micah is saying this has been orchestrated by God. Did you see that? From ancient days. This has been the plan of God all along. But shortly before Jesus is born, it doesn't look like it's actually going to happen. In fact, when Mary finds out that she's pregnant and when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant through the angel appearing to both of them individually, they are living in Nazareth. They, they have a life in Nazareth. They're, they're really nowhere close to Bethlehem, especially as you might consider travel in those days. 80 miles is a long way away. But then an edict comes down from the emperor's palace. An edict comes down from the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus, that says it's time for everyone to go home. It's time for everyone to travel back to the place where they are from. This is the law. The government says it's time for a census. You better pack your things, do it quickly and go home. And all of the sudden, this prophecy that was laid out by the prophet Micah hundreds of years before the Messiah is born, here it is. The little town of Bethlehem is highlighted as Joseph and Mary go to Joseph's hometown. And this becomes the very place 
As we know the story of Christmas, the very place where they look for somewhere to stay, there's no room in the inn. They end up in the stable. They end up giving birth in a barn. And there Jesus is wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger because there is no room for him in the inn. What I hope we can see this morning as we walk through this text is that God is at work in all of these details. God is at work in all of these events. God is at work in all of these circumstances to bring about his perfect will at his perfect time. Look back at Luke chapter two, verse one through five. We see the way it plays out in the story of Christmas. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And isn't it amazing to look at the details of scripture recorded for us in the story of Christmas because you can look back at history and you can, you can see Caesar Augustus, ruling room. You can, Rome, you can see Quirinius, who is the governor of Syria at the time. These are historical figures that the word of God is speaking to, showing us the sovereignty of God reigning and ruling over all things, including those who are reigning and ruling. That's an amazing thing to consider, is it not? Because when we look out at the world around us, It's easy to look at a lot of people in leadership in different nations or in different places or even our own country and go, I'm not sure they're walking in line with the will of God or the purpose of God. In fact, you can look around and see leaders and go, "They're, they're, they're certainly not seeking to bring glory to God. They're certainly not leading to point to the authority of God. And yet in the midst of it all, God is sovereign and reigning over all. There's an amazing verse in Proverbs 21, a verse that I love that I've gone to on many occasions just to be reminded of the authority of God in all things, including in the lives of those who are reigning and ruling. Proverbs chapter 21, verse one says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. Oh, I hope this verse encourages you as you you look out and survey the landscape and and see those who are leading in governing bodies or leading in other nations. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. Now, Now, can you just imagine, can you just imagine If somebody would have gone to Caesar Augustus 2,000 years ago as he was reigning over all of the known world as the emperor of Rome and they said to him, Caesar, most high Caesar, I want you to know something very important about your leadership and your role and your authority. The only thing that history will remember about you Hundreds of years from now, thousands of years from now, the only thing that history will remember about you, the most powerful man in the known world at the time, is that you issued a decree that would cause a seemingly insignificant couple from Nazareth to make an 80 mile journey to Bethlehem. That's all you'll be known for. Oh, most high Caesar. O ruler of all the world, the only thing you will be remembered for 
is a decree that you made about a census, O mighty powerful one. I can assure you if Caesar heard that from someone, that would be that person's last day. He was in full authority to do whatever he wanted to do. And yet here is the most powerful man in the entire world at the time. And he's just a footnote in the most significant story that the world has ever heard. He gave a decree that caused Joseph and Mary to have to travel 80 miles so that prophecy from the prophet Micah spoken hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem could come to fruition, could show us the sovereignty of God, could show us the authority and the rule and the reign of God over all things and could show us the hope that we can have even when we look out and see that things in this world around us do not appear as they should be. Our God is at work. Our God has a plan. Our God will be glorified. And in his perfect timing, his plan is revealed. Caesar, you're just a stream in the hand of the Lord. Caesar, I know you think you're a big deal right now, but the Lord can turn your heart wherever he will, for his plan and for his purpose and for his glory. When we see the details of the story of Christmas, we are reminded here that God in his sovereign rule, God in his authority over all things, uses the circumstances and the events of the world to bring about his perfect plan in his perfect time to demonstrate his power and to reveal who he is so that all who call on the name of the Lord can have confidence that we are calling on the one who is actually in control and who is reigning and ruling over all things. I love the way the Apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 4. If you now would turn back to the New Testament to Galatians chapter 4. We'll go back to Luke in just a moment. But in Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5, we see this beautiful statement from the Apostle Paul about the sovereignty of God and the plan and the purpose of God coming about in God's perfect timing. Galatians 4 verse 4 says this, when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's an amazing statement to make. The apostle Paul says, God's timing is absolutely perfect. And all of the events of generations for centuries leading up to that moment 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem, just as the prophecy explained, it all points back to the sovereign rule of God over all things. When the fullness of time had come, 
when the circumstances of the world and the events of history came together perfectly in God's sovereign vision for his plan and purpose to bring about redemption and salvation through his savior, his son, Jesus was born in Bethlehem at the perfect time. And you may think, well, that's just kind of a grandiose statement. That's just kind of a, a, a biblical statement. You know, that's just kind of saying, isn't this a big deal? But I want you to know, if you would stop and examine historically what was taking place in the known world at the time that Jesus was born, you would see that the events of the world perfectly came together for the purpose of God to be fulfilled. Let me give you some examples of this. Three things I wanna, I wanna highlight and point out real quick. Some of you, this is gonna take you back to a history class. It may give you a little PTSD. Just stay with me, all right? We're gonna go through this really quick, but this is, this is historical. This is events of world history that, that brought together this moment in history where the fullness of time had come for the purpose of God to be revealed. The first thing that we could look at is something that is called the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana, what, what is that all about? The Pax Romana, well, the Pax Romana is a way of, call, of saying the peace of Rome. It's a time in history that was very unique in the known world. It's a time that began around 31 BC when Rome had conquered all of the known world and Rome was no longer at war with anyone and Rome was ruling the world in peace. This was tremendously unique in the history of the world because leading up to this moment in history, really all the world had known was war. Kingdoms conquering kingdoms, nations fighting against nations, nations rising, nations falling. And now Rome has entered into this Pax Romana, this peace of Rome, where for the first time, all of the world is at peace. Rome is ruling over everyone. And so as a result of the Pax Romana, Rome begins to shift its priorities. No longer is, is it needed for the military to go out and conquer foreign nations. Now the military becomes focused on building up civilization in the Roman Empire. The military moves from conquest to building up civilization. And one of the things that the, that the Roman military is empowered to do by Roman authority is to build a, a, a road system, an interstate system, if you will, an infrastructure that would go all throughout the Roman empire to the very corners of the world so that travel could happen in peace more easily all throughout the Roman world. And it was the streets of Rome. It was the infrastructure of Rome. It was this highway system of Rome throughout the entire world that took the gospel to every corner of the Roman Empire. The Pax Romana paved the way, if you will, for the Messiah to come 
for the Messiah to give his life, for the Messiah to save, for Jesus to die on the cross and be resurrected from the dead so that the first disciples and the early church could then take this message throughout the entire empire of Rome so that by 300 AD, the entire Roman world is understanding the good news of Jesus. The Pax Romana paved the way. But secondly, there was a second thing that was happening in the Roman Empire at the time, something called the lingua franca. The lingua franca. What is that all about? Well, if you look up the lingua franca, the definition that you will be given is a, is a common language spoken by people from differing backgrounds. And at the time in the Roman Empire, the, the common language that began to be spoken all throughout the empire was Koine Greek. It was the, the language of the Greeks. It spread throughout the entire Roman Empire so that everyone from different backgrounds, from different regions around the known world now had a common language and they could communicate with one another. If you know anything about Bible history, you know that the original New Testament texts were written in the Greek language. If you go to seminary, one of the classes you take is, is taking classes on studying Greeks so that you can understand and rightly interpret the word of God in the language that it was written. The, the, the entire known world has a common language so that they can communicate with one another. So again, the message of the gospel can be shared in every corner of the world. But then thirdly, there was a Jewish remnant at the time. At the time that was praying fervently, believing that the time was drawing near for the Messiah to come. And this is an amazing thing to consider because again, if you know anything at all about the history of the scriptures, the Old Testament closed with the book of Malachi, and then there was 400 years or so of complete silence where the people did not hear anything from God. 400 years is a long time. And you can imagine that many people, including people among the people of God, began to, to lose hope or begin to say, you know what? Maybe God's just forgotten about us. Now Rome rules the world. Maybe we're never gonna get to see all this prophecy fulfilled. But there was a remnant that continued to pray, believing that the Messiah would come, believing that the promises will be fulfilled. And they specifically were crying out to God asking God to send the Messiah to the world. And you see an example of this recorded for us in Luke's gospel, chapter two. I wanna turn your attention to Luke chapter two, verses 25 through 32, where we see a righteous man, a man of God named Simeon, who would go to the temple every day with a small group of people believing that the prophecy of God was going to be fulfilled, crying out in prayer for God to send the Messiah. And Simeon specifically is praying, God, would you send the Messiah in my lifetime? 
Would you allow me to live long enough, just, just one day long enough that I get to see the Messiah, the promised Savior come to the world? Luke chapter 2, 25 and following records it this way. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, this is after Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple to have him circumcised, to have him officially consecrated, if you will, in the temple, set apart. Simeon's there. It says he took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Simeon sees Jesus has been born. He holds Jesus in his arms. He realizes that his prayers have been answered. The prophecy of God has been fulfilled. And then do you see what Simeon does? This is amazing. You and I and every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later can be connected back to this prayer that Simeon prays. What is he that he prays? What does Simeon pray? He prays that the light of revelation to the Gentiles would shine. That's not a normal Jewish prayer. That's a very strange prayer, a spirit filled prayer as this man of God connected to this Jewish remnant is crying out for the savior of the world to come who would bring salvation to all peoples, including the Gentiles. If you are a believer today, you are experiencing the answer to that prayer. What an amazing thing to consider that our God was orchestrating the events of the world, even the current events of the time of Roman rule to bring about the fullness of time, the perfect time when his will and his plan could be accomplished, that the Messiah could come, that the savior could be born and that the message of the gospel could spread throughout the world even to places like Birmingham, Alabama, so that we could hear and know the good news of who the Savior is and what he has done. The Pax Romana, the lingua franca, the the remnant of Jews, they show us a sovereign God who is working behind the scenes in all of these things to demonstrate his authority and his rule to bring about his perfect plan in his perfect time. Here's the point I want to make before we move on. You and I, you and I are evidence that God is at work whether we realize it or not. The fact that we are gathering together 
2,000 years later to begin the celebration of the Christmas season, looking at the historical account of what took place to lead Joseph and Mary from a town in Nazareth to a town in Bethlehem, that the prophecy could be filled, fulfilled, that Mary would give birth to the Son of God right where the prophet said it would take place, and that God orchestrated the events of all of culture and all of history in the fullness of time to bring this about in his perfect plan at his perfect time shows us that God is at work in our lives whether we realize it or not. And I want you to hang on to that for a moment because the reality is There are many things that can happen in our lives, many circumstances that we walk through, many things that happen in the world around us that when we see them unfolding, we think, man, where is God in that? God, are you even there? God, are you even at work? God, are you even doing anything? And yet the Christmas story reminds us that even though Rome was in control, if you will, over all the known world. And even though it appeared that the the people of God really had no hope after 400 years of silence, God was at work to bring about his perfect plan at the perfect time in the fullness of time so that we could see the good news of who he is and what he has done for us through the Savior that was born in the little town of Bethlehem. I love this quote from Pastor J.D. Greer of the Summit Church in North Carolina. He says, God has the whole system rigged. That brings me great hope. That gives me great confidence, especially looking out at the world around us. God has the whole system rigged. And then listen to what J.D. writes. He said, he is sovereignly weaving the stories of his people for his redemptive purposes. And that includes your story. You have a divinely appointed role in the kingdom and you have been sovereignly shaped to fulfill that role and you will never feel like you have found your purpose or your place in life until you start to fulfill that role. God is sovereign and he is reigning over all. And God is inviting you and inviting me to be a part of his purpose and his plan. What an amazing gift to consider as we step into the Christmas season. I I realize you may be here this morning and you may say, you know, that all kind of sounds a little random. That all these events would just line up. I mean, I'm not so sure about that or or maybe you're here today and you're not even really concerned about the story of Christmas. You're just, you're just thinking about the story that you're walking through right now. Maybe you're here today feeling completely overwhelmed at the circumstances that you're navigating. Or maybe you've been hit with, with something unexpected and it's just completely knocked you off your feet. Or, or maybe you look out at the world around you and 
and see the headlines. And, and I'll admit that there, there are times when this happens to me, I read the headlines and I think, man, things just feel so out of control. And in many ways around the world, like things are happening and it just looks hopeless and you're going, where is God in all of this? And yet, as we step into the story of Christmas, we are given this unbelievable, beautiful reminder that our God is sovereign and reigning over all. That the kings and the leaders, they're like streams of water in the hands of the Lord and he, and he, and he moves them wherever he wishes. And, and his plan and his purpose, it, it will not be thwarted. It will advance. His glory will be seen. And he's calling you and I to be a part of what he's doing in this world, in this season. You, you may have lots of questions. You, you may have lots of fears and doubts, even as you look out and survey the landscape of what's happening in your story or, or things that are happening in the world around you. But the story of Christmas, it's a story of hope. It's a true story of hope. It's a story of God stepping into our world in the flesh, fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling promises. It's a story of God doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. It's a story of God reigning and ruling over all and divinely working in the fullness of time to bring about his perfect plan for salvation at the perfect time so that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's a story that promises that just as Jesus came 2,000 years ago and prophecy was fulfilled, he's coming again. He's coming again. And the promise will be realized that he will wipe away every tear of those who know him. He will right every wrong. Sorrow and suffering will be once and for all defeated and over and done. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be with him forevermore. So what do we do with that? What do you do with that in this Christmas season? Specifically, as you think about your story or as you think about the events of the world unfolding around us right now. Well, I wanna take us back real quickly to Luke chapter one and look at one verse as we close. And it's the response that we see of Mary when she hears from the angel of God that she will be pregnant with child even though she is a virgin and she will be carrying the son of God. An amazing, overwhelming, unexpected circumstance to hear about. And yet in Luke chapter one, verse 38, look at how Mary responds. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I don't understand all the details, Mary could have said. This is not what I expected for my life, Mary could have said. This is not the way I saw things unfolding, Mary could have said. This was certainly not my plan. These are completely unexpected circumstances. I feel completely out of control. I feel completely overwhelmed. That's what Mary could have said. But Mary prays this beautiful prayer of faith that I believe can be a beautiful gift in your life and mine. I'm a servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. I don't understand all the details. I'm not really sure how this is going to all play out. I just have to say in faith, I'm a servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And with that, Mary's faith demonstrates this beautiful truth that we have no idea what God may want to do through a surrendered life. You have no idea what God may want to do through your life surrendered to him. Yes, circumstances can feel overwhelming. Yes, the headlines that we read can feel like things are spinning out of control. But the story of Christmas reminds us that our God is sovereign and reigning over all. He is at work in all things to bring about his plan for his glory. And he is inviting you and me, calling us into his story, calling us into his love, calling us into the grace and forgiveness of the Savior and we have no idea what God might want to do through our surrendered life if we will trust him at his word and say, I don't know a lot of things, but I know this. I'm a servant of the Lord. May you do whatever you know is best. May you have your way. May you use my life for your glory. We talk about this a lot here at Shades. Our, our vision as a church is to live sin. And we say that's to leverage who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel, wherever we are and wherever God takes us. I believe when we step into the story of Christmas, we're, we're just given that invitation all over again. Will we leverage our lives? Will we say, hey, Lord, whatever you want to do, my answer is yes. I'm a servant of the Lord and I'm trusting, I'm trusting that you are sovereign and reigning over all. You fulfilled your promises in the past. You'll fulfill your promises in the future. The prophecy about the Messiah has been realized. The prophecy about the second coming will be accomplished. I'm trusting you. I'm a servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. My life is yours. We have no idea what God might want to do through a surrendered life. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the Savior and the Lord? Let me pray for us as we close our time here.
this morning. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your love, so grateful for your grace in giving us your word. So thankful that as we step into the story of Christmas, you remind us that you are at work in all things for your perfect plan in your perfect timing that your glory might be revealed and that those who trust you would have hope. Oh, we praise you for the good news of Christmas. We praise you for the hope of Christmas, that our God is sovereign and reigning over all and in the fullness of time took on flesh to give your life so that we might be saved. Oh Lord, I pray for every person here who is a follower of Jesus. Lord, would you give us the faith in whatever we're facing right now in this season to say, I'm a servant of the Lord. May your will be done. I'm a servant of the Lord. May your will be done. And Lord, for those who are with us today who are maybe wrestling with the circumstances of life and wrestling with this idea or concept of, of a God being sovereign over all things, even when it feels so overwhelming and things appear to be spiraling out of control, Lord, I, I pray that in the midst of all of that, that they would see this incredible invitation that Christmas provides. That in your sovereign plan, you took on flesh and you gave your life at a cross so that we, without hope, could find hope. So that we who knew no peace could walk the path of peace so that we who were once blind and lost could have eyes to see and could walk in your ways. Oh Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation. I pray that those who are here today who have yet to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord would trust you in faith. And this Christmas would be a brand new season of celebration in their life as they surrender and say, Jesus, I want to serve you. Have your way with me. Thank you for the gift that you provide. We pray all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.